This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Hey, everyone. As you saw in uh, Mr. Greg Dickerson's first interview of the day, we are excited about what's coming in 2021. I am specifically excited by an opportunity. And I, I asked Greg if we could talk about it today, and he graciously agreed. So first off, welcome to the show, Greg. How are you? Hey, doing great, Michael. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate the coaching and advice you're about to give me. So let me lay the framework and uh, you can give me some guidance and ask any questions that you need. So I've been reading about this build to rent model. Uh, Specifically, most recently, there's a company in Texas who's building 187 homes. Purposely, all homes are going to be for rent, right? Not sell to owner occupant. They're going to build them, rent them, uh, basically create a portfolio out of them. It's working for them so much. They just secured a plot of land to do another 200. So I look in my market of Fresno, California, uh, very scarce inventory. Uh, It did make sense to flip for a while, but even that is competitive now. Uh, So I am looking at potentially copying that model, right? Go get a track of land, build 10, 20, 100, whatever makes sense. But I've never been a developer. I've never done ground up anything. And you're my guy. So I'm like, hey, let's call Greg and just see what kind of word of advice or what kind of questions you would ask. And... um, I'll stop there and, and see what you think. Yeah. So the first step is to, you know, uh, financial feasibility to look into it and say, is this even feasible from a financial standpoint? So what you have to do is understand, you know, what are the construction costs in your area? You know, what are the development costs in your area? Um, what are the rents in your area and what does your financing look like to be able to do a project like this? And is it even going to work? compared to the existing inventory that you have and what you can buy Mm -hmm. uh, in rent right now. So that's really where the comparison comes through. Now, the cool thing about new construction is it usually rents for more. It usually rents faster, rents for more, and is worth more than, you know, an older existing, you know, type of a a property that you're just going to do the standard, you know, value add. So that's one of the advantages of it. Um, and the other advantage is you have the opportunity to create something unique in terms of a community where people like to live in newer communities. So you got to do the financial numbers first. So you just start with the income. So what is the, what is the income? And then you uh, work the numbers backwards to see if it makes sense. So if you have a certain amount of rent coming in and you know your mortgage is going to be X, that leaves X. You have to put you know 20 uh, to 30% into a project like this for new construction, depending on what it is, you might have to put 20 to 30% equity in it down payment. So you got to look at your ROI on that. Then you work it backwards. What does it cost, you know, for land? What does it cost to develop the land? And what does it cost to build? You can find those things out by talking to local builders in your area that are building the type of housing you want to build. So if you want to build three bedroom, two bath, 1200 square foot, you know, houses, look for builders that are building that and uh, talk to them, find out what the costs are, look at new subdivisions, see what stuff's selling for. You can kind of get an idea. If they're selling for something in a new subdivision, generally the builder builder markup's about 20%. So if a house is selling for 400,000, new construction neighborhood, take 80,000 bucks off of it, that's going to be your cost. Land, development, house. They have about a 20% margin. 
Uh, some of the bigger companies, you know, operate a, a little bit less of a margin because they're doing volume and they're really, uh, the national home builders, they're really selling the residual products kind of like Amazon. Amazon, what we buy off Amazon is a loss leader. Their money's made in their residual products and services that they sell. Um, so that's kind of how you can drill down numbers real quick. If you don't want to talk to a builder, you know, just look at what new construction is selling for and back that 20% off. And that'll give you an idea of what a cost uh, parameter is. Next step is if you decide, okay, it looks good. It looks like it's going to work. I understand relatively what the costs are going to be like. And we're talking, if you've got no experience, you've never done ground up, um, then you want to start looking at land. Okay. And the land that you want to look at, you need to take number one, the zoning is the land zone. Can you do what you want to do? Is if it's 10 acres and you want to build 50 houses, can you do it? What is the zoning? How many units per acre are allowed? And just because the zoning allows for a certain number of units per acre doesn't mean you can get it because you have to put the roads, the streets, utilities, this, that, and the other. You've got setbacks, green area, lot coverage restrictions, you know, access, DOT requirements, Department of Transportation, ingress, egress, all these different things that are going to dictate what you can do with that land. So you want to kind of research those things first before you make a move on a piece of land, find out what it's zoned for, you know, if you can do what you want to do to it. Then once you do that, what are the, what are the requirements? And you can talk to the cities and the counties and find out what these requirements are uh, in terms of, uh, you know, permits, utilities, traffic studies and patterns, um, environmental studies that need to be done, any kind of rezoning. Um, applications that, that need to be done potentially and what's required there to get a property rezoned. Is it already zoned by right? Meaning as it sits, you can do what you want to do. Um, so you want to understand all those processes and what the permits are going to look like and, you know, what's going to be required. Where are the utilities? You know, how are you going to be able to connect to them? Is there water and sewer? Do you, you have to put in well and septic? Is there cable, gas, this, that, and the other? So you want to understand all those things. The city and county can generally tell you a lot about that or direct you to the utilities departments to understand you know, what's involved there. Then you start looking at topography. Okay, how does the land layout? Is it buildable? You know, is it a cliff? Mm. Is it hilly? Is it flat? Uh, what are the soils like? You know, was there ever uh, any kind of an environmental you know, hazardous uh, you know, use to the property? You know, so as you move along in due diligence, you'll do environmental studies that kind of do the history of the property to find out what was on that property and make sure there's no hazardous material ever ever been there uh you know or ever been on the property and um you know and you never know what you'll find on a property so you want to walk it you want to walk the perimeter and then kind of you know work your way through the property because there could be cars there could be something stored it could be a body you never know mm -hmm. what you could it could be some sort of an endangered species i had a, a friend that was doing a self-storage project and they had these endangered turtles that they found they they didn't you know it's almost impossible to find everything but they didn't do those field studies to find it that stopped the project cold mm -hmm. and uh you know delayed it like three or four months while they had to remove these turtles and relocate them so you want to make sure that there's no environmental natural resources you know anything like that that's going to be a problem critical slopes swamps low you know wetlands lowlands those types of things and uh for certain types of projects depending on what you're doing you got to do soil samples and studies mm -hmm. as part of your due diligence things like that so those are the types of things that you want to look at in, in, in terms of getting the, the property ready to build. So once you understand, you understand, yes, the project works from a feasibility standpoint. Yes, I can build what I want to build. And you kind of have a general understanding there. You can talk to some local site work contractors that are, you know, doing uh, subdivision work in your area, clearing lots, putting roads, utilities, gutters in to kind of get an idea of what the costs are there. They can give you a rough idea per lot 
for a parcel, what, what your costs are going to look like. If there's timber, rocks, this, that, and the other, all those have different costs and different things you have to look at. So once you've gone through that, you're like, okay, sounds like it works. Um, now it's time to make an offer. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you've got this property, it's listed for sale and you make an offer. And what you want to do is you want to make an offer contingent upon being able to build what it is you want to build. So if you want to get 10 units, your offer is, you know, I'll pay you a million dollars, you know, as long as I can get these 10 units or whatever it is, mm -hmm. um, let's just use that round number. And, um, uh, but, uh, you, you know, so what you want is you want a, a 90 day to 180 day feasibility, you know, due diligence period where you line up your financing, you make sure the project's going to work, you make sure you get your approvals, you know, all this and that kind of stuff. You know, this is your initial due diligence period of, of at least 90, maybe 180 days, depending on your uh, jurisdiction. And you don't even need to put an earnest money deposit up. You want the right to study this thing for 90 to 180 days because you're going to spend money. Mm -hmm. This is where you're going to get a civil engineer to come in and start doing a feasibility site plan is what's that, what that's called. Mm -hmm. For a small parcel like that, for about $1,500 to $2,000, they'll come in and lay out your preliminary subdivision plans so you can kind of run it by the city or county in terms of maximizing the property and laying it out correctly uh, to kind of understand. Then you can run it by your site work contractors and all that to, to see what your costs will be. That's a feasibility site plan. You're going to spend money doing that doing, doing, during your due diligence phase. So you want to get 90 to 100 days to study the property to make sure that you can do what you want to do. And let's assume you can, you find out, okay, I can do 10 lots, I think. Um, so next step is you put earnest money down and it goes hard and you work toward a closing date that's six months or a year later, however long you think you need, depending on the size of the project and the time frame. but you do not close till you get all of your approvals, all your permits, and you're ready to break ground. Uh, but your earnest money goes hard now. So you say, if it's a million dollars, you got to put up $10,000 earnest money. Um, I get 90 days to 180 days, whatever you can negotiate to study. Uh, when I determine, yes, I'm moving forward, earnest money gets put down and goes hard. I don't get it back at that point. Okay. But you want to have a clause in there that if for some reason you get down zoned, um, in other words, meaning if you thought you could get 10 lots and it turns out you can only get eight, you can adjust the price or you can back out, get your money back, but you're going to lose all the money you spent along mm. the way to get there. Sure. Um, so you want to have that in your contract that you have the, op you have the option to cancel to get your money back if you get down zoned and you can't get what you have been told and you think you can get. And then you also want to have the option to reduce the purchase price by that number. So if it's a million dollars for 10 lots, you can't get, you know, all you can get is eight, goes down to 800,000. So, you, you know, you want to adjust it that way. And then once you get all your approvals, your permits and all that, that's when you close. Again, so you, you would ultimately close after, you know, nine to 12 months when you're ready to break ground. So you sign, move money over, you're ready to go. So, you know, construction starts theoretically the next week. Yeah. I mean, if you got all your permits, absolutely. You've got everybody lined up along the way. Sure. As soon as you close, you got your financing, bam, yeah, you can start construction. So that's literally what they call shovel ready. So you don't want to close till the project is shovel ready. All right. And then what, what I want, let's just again, use 10 lots and I, it's fine if it's a million bucks for the lot. I just want to get a feel for kind of average fees, right? Cause there's, you know, there's, there's the lot cost, which in that case is hundred K a lot. There's, you know, building costs. Let's just call it again, use a hundred, hundred bucks a square foot uh, to build the structure. But what, mm -hmm. what kind of costs are we looking for the extra fees and all of that, right? Are we talking 
10 grand a lot, roughly 20 grand. I mean, there, there's a whole kinds of fees and all of that. Depends on <clears throat> where it's at. And that's what you'll have to find out. And that could be anywhere from usually five to 10,000 a lot for just general yep. buy right subdivision that doesn't require a lot to 30 to 50,000 a lot if you're doing curb and gutter and, you know, sidewalks and, you know, yeah. it all depends on your scale, but you're going to be five to 10 to 40 or 50 a lot, depending on what you're doing for just a general subdivision. Okay. Uh, maybe 30, you might be able to still do 30, 35 in some areas. That's, you know, curb and gutter utilities, you know, all that pad ready. That's what you right. call pad ready, where you can come in and just pour your foundation and go. Um, you know, so th those are rough numbers. Again, you can get that from local yep. contractors that are doing that kind of work, doing the, the subdivision uh, site work, you know, utilities, that kind of thing, paving, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, again, the question is curb and gutter sidewalks, light poles, do you have to put, you know, lighting in, what are your mm -hmm. requirements, signage, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, now, uh, you got to have to bond the projects, so you got to put up a, a development bond, a performance bond, you know, um, so you got to be bondable um, and, and be able to post that bond that that's um, an insurance policy that if you for some reason, don't finish the project, the city has the money to come in or that they can cash in that that insurance policy to come in and finish the project mm. behind you so you got to be you, you got to post a bond so you need money for that um you got to find contractors that are bondable because they have to do the same thing um, and if you're not experienced in this then that's what you do you surround yourself with a team it starts with civil engineer that that, that that's what they do in that area they're connected uh, with the government associations politically in the area and they have a good reputation for getting things through um, you might need a land use attorney if you need to do rezoning and let them handle all that and go before the committees and they do everything for you. Um, you need a good site work contractor that, you know, is reputable, does work in the area, understands the requirements, knows what's going on, because if that gets messed up, then that can be expensive. Mm. Um, you know, so you want to make sure that you've got them and then at the end of the day, a good general contractor to build the houses. So your team, when you don't have experience, is very important. You want to make sure they're all very experienced you know, at least 10 years or more in the business doing what it is you want to do. And that's easy to find in those areas. Mm -hmm. And that's what a developer does. A developer is the visionary that brings the team together to execute on that, that vision for that project. Um, then you have the financing side. So you need lenders, you need banks that finance those types of projects because not every bank does. You know, every bank has different appetites, different tolerance for risk. They like different kinds of projects. They might like one subdivision in one area, but not over here. So you got to shop a lot of different lenders. You got to find a good financial partner there in terms of a lender and you have to be bankable. So what, I, what do I mean by bankable? So banks are in the business of loaning money. They want to loan money to the right people. So number one, you need to be bankable. So you need to have your financials packaged. You need to have your last three years tax returns, any of your companies, you need to have their updated uh, balance sheet and uh, income statement PL. Uh, you need to have your updated personal financial statement, which has all your assets, all your liabilities, including all your businesses, properties, all that, and a nice buttoned up little package so that when they ask for it, boom, email is fired off. And when they ask for it three or four times after that, because they will, you just email it off, you know, uh, with your loan app and all that. So you take that financial package bundled up with a nice little loan, re loan request, which is a professional. Uh, done but simple business executive summary of the project, uh, which is I want to build 10 houses in this location, you know, um, for rent, here's the rental income, you do a little spreadsheet, here's the values, I'm requesting X amount of dollars, mm -hmm. that simple. So you do a little executive summary, but that accompanies your financial package. So you look dialed, dialed in professional put together, then you can send that out to a bunch of uh, 
institutions uh, in order to do that. Now you wanna make sure that you've got your entity set up, your development company that's gonna be the developer. You wanna make sure that your plan is to set the project up in its own entity so that you know Michael's subdivision Fresno is an LLC that is gonna hold title to the property. And um, that's going to be all the work that's done is gonna be done for that entity. That's who's mm -hmm. gonna hire everybody. And that's who's gonna pay the bills. So if there's any issues, you know, uh, or liens or whatever, it's all that one property and nothing else. Mm -hmm. It doesn't affect your operating company, any, any of that kind of stuff. So all of, all of the funding goes there. Uh, and then you got to line up the equity. So it's either your money or it's somebody else's money. Development requires a lot of, um, you know, upfront feasibility capital. So you got to have, you got to have that front money, uh, entitlement money to be able to get to this, you know, to the point to where you know whether or not you can do the project. So you've got to either be able to raise that or you got to have that on your own. Uh, and then you got interest carry and all that, which you can kind of package in with your with your loan, uh, with your construction development loan. And the way that works is like anything else. It's a development loan. They're going to loan you a percentage of the uh, either value or cost of the project, whichever's lower, value or cost, whichever's lower, not higher. Um, and, you know, 70, 80 percent. So you have to come to the table with the rest. You can pack your interest payments in there so that you don't have to actually make it. It's just part of the loan. Um, and it's, it's added on and increases the loan balance as you go along. They'll provide the money to take down the land and pay construction draws uh, on a progress of completion basis to the, you know, to the development manager. And then as the developer, you can earn a development fee of, you know, two to 4% for being the developer. Um, and, uh, you know, you work through the project and your goal is to either sell the lots to another builder, or if you're building for rent, then all of those properties will convert into a portfolio loan when they're all done, leased up and ready to go. So a lot of lenders like that kind of stuff. They like mm -hmm. those development loans to portfolio loans. Mm. They'll hold it in house or maybe they'll package it and sell it off. So that's yeah. kind of a short, high level version of how that works. That's amazing. Uh, I'm going to have to rewatch that again, because there's, there's a lot in there. And, and just as we kind of wrap this up, the other option there, the other option is you sort of built, or the other option I'm looking at is just taking down individual lots, kind of infill lots, mm -hmm. right? Throughout the city, there's always a lot or two that hasn't been built on or, yeah. or it had a house, you just take it down. Um, I have to assume those are easier, you know, kind of onesie, onesie, twosie here and there, because obviously the curbs and gutters and, you know, plumbing is all there. Uh, is that a fair assumption or am I missing a ton of things? So we never assume. <laughs> you know, <number laughs> Good one. answer. Good answer. Yeah, you never assume. And here's the things that can bite you on that. So yes, random, you know, random lot infill development is what that's called. Scattered lot, random lot infill development. Ten properties here or there. That's infill development or minor subdivision development in some areas. Uh, but the random lot, scattered lot. So what you want to watch out for there is what other. You go through the same process: utilities, access. Uh, driveway requirements, sidewalk requirements. Do you have to put a sidewalk in? Mm -hmm. You know, do you, you know, all those types of things. If there was a house that was previously on the property, do you have to, you know, take the sewer line back to the main, you know, the, the waistline back to the main and put a whole new line in? What does your water line situation look like? Does that need to be replaced? Do you have to put a manhole in, fire hydrant? I mean, I've had all these things come up on just doing one lot yeah. where I wanted to, you know, tear down a house and build a new one. And in order to connect, I had to I had to bring the sewer line up the street, put a manhole in, I had to put oh, a fire wow. hydrant in, you know, these types of things. So you just need to understand what those costs are going to be. Uh, you can tear stuff down and redevelop and and do those. So you just want to understand those costs and just make sure power company is a big one. Make sure you check with the power company. Where's the power going to come from? 
Sometimes they have to move a transformer. Sometimes they got to put a pole in. There may be costs to you in certain uh, aspects of that because they'll put a transformer in, but then you got to bring the line in. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, it can cost you money to do that. So you want to find out, you know, what that is and, and what's required there. So those are the types of things that, that can kind of bite you there. Also land disturbance, you know, you want to make sure, you know, what's required in terms of, you know, stormwater mitigation, you know, land disturbance mitigation, what do they require for those types of things? But again, that's, that's easy stuff. And uh, I would recommend starting with that yeah. and starting with one and then work your way from there. So at least you'll understand, get a team together, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's quicker, you know, you yeah. can get a house done in six months to eight months and you don't need a huge long feasibility study period. Uh, but just because the house is, the, the lot is zoned for whatever, doesn't mean you can do it because you're going to have setbacks, meaning, yeah. you know, there's a certain uh, area around the lot you cannot build in. Uh, there's going to be lot coverage. There's going to be, you know, floor area ratios in some cities. There's going to be height restrictions, you know, all kinds of different things. So just because you have a 50 by 100 foot lot in the city doesn't mean you can build a three bedroom house. You might have to go up. You might, you know, a lot of different things you got to take into consideration in terms of, of what you can build. Very, very cool. I am. I have lots of uh, homework to do. It's just an idea I had after reading a bunch of articles about what's going on in Texas. Uh, I'm going to start with uh, feasibility, financial feasibility. I've already got contact with a couple of contractors, GCs out there that are actually new home construction GCs. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have a call with them, I think on Thursday. So I appreciate this. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks, man. Yeah, man.